it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. We had an unplanned week off last week. I was on vacation, uh, but we are back, and I'm sure you missed us because as bad as this podcast can be, it was not nearly, it could not be as bad as the Mets were (laughs) thus far in August. Uh, We are recording this on August 12th. The Mets have won two games in August. Uh, one of which was 12 hours ago or so. And so uh, it's just been a really, really rough patch for the Mets. Their pitching has not looked terrible, but their offense has looked about as bad as advertised. I don't know what you feel, Chris. I feel like part of this is obviously just teams hit bad streaks. They hit a bad streak at the time when the Phillies were hitting a good streak and the Braves are playing a little bit better. And so so it's the worst time to hit the skids. It also feels like there's just, you know, the injury bug just keeps on going and it seems like they just cannot get their big offensive players to be big offensive players right now. So I don't know if there is necessarily, like for me, a light at the end of the tunnel for this. I don't know how much of this is going to continue just at this pace until the end of the season. I also don't know if the Braves and the Phillies can sustain what they're doing right now. And so maybe the Mets will be fine being this mediocre team that makes it to the playoffs. But if they but if they do make it to the playoffs, I can't imagine them going very far 
with this team as it's currently constructed, as it's currently performing. So is there a beacon of hope out there for you, Chris, that you feel like if these couple of things happen, they will feel better or you would feel better about the Mets? Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, the, the nice thing is that despite all of this, they're still within a game and a half of first place, which is not exactly the best considering they just spent, you know, three straight months in first place before, you know, slipping out of it, uh, in, in disastrous fashion with that series in Philadelphia. But, um, I think it really does hinge mostly on getting Lindor back, getting DeGrom back. Um, I think Lindor is more guaranteed, if if that can be a thing, mm -hmm. to uh, to make that return this year. Uh, you know, we had heard yesterday uh, the reporters saw him taking batting practice. That was the first time they had seen that in in quite some time since his injury, certainly. So that is a good sign. And, and I think his importance to the team really can't be overstated. Uh, people harped on that slow start a lot, but once he kind of got going, I know he he's still not had a stretch where it's like, oh wow, he's just red hot, one of the best hitters in in uh, you know on the team or in baseball over the span of a week or two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that hasn't happened, but I think missing him on an everyday basis is a significant reason why they've, they've been in the skid they've been in. Um, obviously DeGrom is just, he's the only player on the Mets who is clearly the best at what he does in the entire sport, you know, so not to diminish that absence, but when you look at how a team is playing, especially at the, you know, as a, as an offensive unit and in the field, I think Lindor's right. absence is is really the biggest thing uh, that's put them in the spot that they're in now. Uh, can they win the division without Degrama coming back at any point this year? I, I I don't know, but to me, that's the sort of thing that that can at least start to turn things back around. Um, they had projected mid to late August for Lindor all along, so it, it doesn't seem like he's going to uh, beat that timeline, but it seems like he might be on it. And right. if it's, you know, if he's at a point that swinging feels okay with, uh, with the oblique injury, maybe it's not too long before he plays a few rehab games in Binghamton or Syracuse and then gets back and, and gets in the lineup and helps out the Mets. And, and it would be, obviously I want them to win every game, between now and then and get back into first place, take a commanding lead, turn things around. And then, and then he comes back and helps to, um, you know, solidify that division lead. But if they're sort of in this mix with those three teams, uh, including themselves and, you know, in a week or two or two and a half or whatever, Lindor comes back and then they roar past those teams. Um, that would also be a fun way to have things happen just to maybe finally get that taste of uh, his first six weeks as a hitter to be erased from Mets fans' memories. Yeah, I think that's almost as big of a thing with Lindor as anything else. I think that his, he's been fine this year. He hasn't had that, like you said, that like fireball on the player meter, um, right. you know, uh, 
performance yet. But he hasn't been bad except for those first six or eight weeks or whatever it is. And I think that fans just expect him to be one or the other, right? He's either going to be the superstar or he's going to be just this overpaid scrub. And he is not an overpaid scrub. We know that for a fact. Um, I'm interested to see what... Well, do we, have, do we have a Baez update yet, by the way? Not really. I mean, he, he pinch hit. Right. I guess that's the update <laughs> so far. <laughs> he pinch hit, and he didn't disintegrate in the process. Right. Um, as, as sometimes happens when the Mets send a guy out there to pinch hit with, a, with an injury. Yes. I was going to uh, say, you know, if, if Baez is healthy-ish and Lindor comes back, I mean – Baez moving to second will make it easier on his body because it's a less physically demanding position. And I think that the two of them playing together will generate just a lot of positive energy in in the stadium and in the clubhouse. Those guys clearly love each other very, very much. And I think that they will fire up each other and the rest of the team. Now, I don't think that the team's problems are that they're not firing up enough. I'm not trying to imply that, that that this is a chemistry equation and that, you know, Baez plus Lindor equals wins. But I think that right now the team could use any spark they could get, anything they could do to make things just a little bit better for for everyone involved is, a, is, is necessary right now. They really, really need something to be to go right for them. And so I think that that would be a big part of it. But if Baez is going to wind up hurt, then I think it's a, uh, you know, then I don't know when, I don't know when this season, if ever, you get those two together. And I don't know if Baez is going to be a Met next year. I guess this this is a sidebar, but in sort of 50 words or less, Chris, do you think Baez is a Met next year? <laughs> Uh, part of me thinks yes, just because of that close f- friendship with Lindor, uh, the fact that they traded for him. Maybe they they sort of had that in mind. Obviously, uh, a traded player can't be given a qualifying offer under the current CBA, uh, so you know that's not a factor. But but there might be some part of the Mets uh, front office that that went into it with that thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess as of right now, I guess yes. I, you know, neither neither outcome would be shocking, but uh, it would it would make sense, and you know they'd uh, they'd obviously be looking at certain positions on the roster in a different way going into the the rest of the offseason if they were to retain him. So that will be interesting. Yeah, you know, I I really don't know what the future holds for Baez because on one hand you don't make like this is what you were saying about Lindor in the offseason. You don't make that trade if you're not going to extend him, right? That was the that was the general consensus behind um, behind that trade. You don't do that unless you're going to really commit to it. Baez, they didn't give up as much for, and so I don't know if I just don't know if if, if they're going to be able to to make the deal to keep him here. I think Conforto having a poor season in a way helps this because I. I think there's a non-zero chance that Conforto accepts a qualifying offer now to try and rebuild his value before next se- next year's free agency. And so 
the money that maybe you were earmarking towards a big Conforto deal, maybe you moved towards a Baez deal. And I don't think Baez gets the kind of deal Conforto was going to get based on a couple of things. But, you know, um, I think the point somewhat stands. So maybe there's a world where you can take some of that Conforto money and put it over in Baez if Conforto takes a qualifying offer or if Conforto just has to accept a lesser contract because he's, you know, he's performed so poorly this year. Um, and that's actually a good person to talk about now is Michael Conforto. Um you know, I, I think both of us thought going into the season that Conforto was going to be, if not the centerpiece of the team offensively, one of the centerpieces. You know, he had an absolutely fantastic 2020, and there's no way to overstate sort of what his offense meant for the team down the stretch last year. So I think we all expected him to just be, you know, the tops this year. And that that just didn't happen. It just never it, it never coalesced, right? And so, do you think the Mets are ready to cut ties with him? Do you think that they are? I mean, I, th- I think they offer him a qualifying offer because you just that's what you do. But do you think that it, beyond that, right now, they're going to try and go out for him if he doesn't take the QL? Oh man, I mean, it's at a point right now, and I hope over the next few weeks. There's some sign of life to to turn this around, but I'd almost be surprised if they give him the qualifying offer. Like that, uh, it, I guess that depends obviously strongly on how they feel about his future, uh, just for next year as a player and and what he brings to the team. Uh, you know, most importantly on the field in the clubhouse, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it also probably depends on what exactly their plans are for Robinson Cano. And whether or not they want to be super strict about the luxury tax, whether or not there is a luxury tax concept still in place uh, when the new CBA hopefully gets agreed upon at some point before next season. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of variables there, but it's just uh, I would not give up on him entirely, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, If only because it would, you know, not giving the QO would free up some space. Um, and again, you know, that as fans, that's not really something that we should be concerned with a small luxury tax for an ultra billionaire, um, is not our problem. So no, it certainly isn't. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's wild to think uh, coming into the season, uh, like a lot of Mets fans, I wanted to see him get an extension. Obviously it wouldn't be on the level of Lindor's, but, um, you know, an extension that would keep him around for, four, five, six years at a you know, at a salary that fit the type of player that he is. Um, th- this is a guy who year in and year out is a good hitter and in some years is the best hitter the Mets have. Um, so it's a little it's a little strange to be at this point going like, man, he might not be a Met again <laughs> or, right. or at least not next year. Yeah, I mean, I... I think they offer him the qualifying offer because I think everybody recognizes that he's not this bad. Um, but the one the one piece of that is, you know, he is a Scott Boris client. He is going to play hardball eventually. And if you're looking to save face with the public, it's easier to say, look, he had a shitty, a really like historically shitty 2021 season. We didn't offer him the qualifying offer because of that. 
that there is more um there's more uh cover given for that explanation than if you say well we were offering and i'm making this number up we were offering them 100 million but the braves offered them 110 million and we just couldn't meet that price right i feel like one of them for the fan base gives a much more understandable um set of circumstances that led to him not being a met again and i wonder how much that will play into it yeah I just think you know we're we're so we're so willpon conditioned that we still think that the Mets are going to be that the Mets can justifiably be outbid for players, and that's just not the case anymore. I mean, obviously, I'm not I'm not advocating that they just open up the checkbook for no reason for players. You know, I I do like an idea of a team that is somewhat responsible with its uh, decision making, but you know, there's no reason that any player the Mets want, if it's a minimal price increase for it there's no reason that they can't go out and get that right now and ever again with cohen as the manager right yeah george springer is tearing it up in toronto um the mets could have just increased their offer a little bit and had him over the winter yep they, they chose not to um you know there and there's some other Buster guys we... only doesn't have a farm anymore because of it yes <laughs> uh there are some guys that we advocated for over the offseason that, um, you know, haven't worked out. Shane Green, for instance, uh, seems to be the latest uh, guy who didn't do spring training and just got absolutely obliterated yeah. in his time with the Braves. <laughs> and it, as, as spring training was going on and April was going on and all that, it, I was still like, come on, he's still out there. You could use him. Um, so not everybody that we pined for turns out to be a successful player that year. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, you don't want to feel or sound too much like a Yankees fan in assuming that every player out there is just going to eventually be a Met, but there is a, a serious difference in, uh, in, in capacity here. And there should be a difference in appetite for those kinds of players. I, I would think, um, but it'll be very interesting to see uh, for a first off season. I feel like the, you know, monster deal for Lindor and Carrasco was, was a pretty good centerpiece in taking advantage of a, a team that should just pay to keep its homegrown superstar around, but instead dumps him. Um, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how, how it plays out in a, in a full off season where it's not just, Oh, Hey, I just bought the team and you know, let's, let's start, figuring things out and making moves and, and all that. So Hey, I just bought the team. We can't find a GM. Oh, we, we hired a GM. Oh, he's a sex pest. Oh, we don't have a GM again. Like that, yeah. that whole Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that whole process. Um so I, I do want to talk about the front office though a little bit here, you know, because there have been a couple of things that have come out in the last uh few days that are, are of note. Uh Zach Scott gave a press conference that caused Mets Twitter collectively to shit their pants. Uh, in anger, and uh, I had to say, full disclosure, I did not watch the press conference. I was at work at the time, and so I did not hear exactly what Scott had to say, but looking back on the remarks, I can understand why people maybe felt that it was um, out of place for him to, to, to say that, or maybe, you know, throwing his players under the bus unnecessarily. Again, I did not hear the press conference. It's hard to get tone sometimes from pre from print, um, 
but I don't know if it's related to that sort of or not. But so the, the Mets made a couple of um, of promotions within the front office, and we'll talk about those specifically in a second. But of note, Zach Scott did not get the interim GM tag lifted off of him, and so it's easy to read that as that the team does not necessarily see him as the GM of the future. Uh, they do want to hire a president of baseball ops this offseason, and so maybe that guy will want to that guy or girl. Hopefully, they, they're hire they're uh, interviewing some women for this job because why not? Um, but hopefully, this the person that is hired for that job has a plan for the team, and maybe Zach Scott as GM isn't part of that. The, the The Mets seem to think that Zach Scott is going to be a part of the front office someplace, but not necessarily in the GM chair. But the two people that there were. Um, promoted were Ian Levin and Bryn Alderson. Now, if the last name Alderson sounds familiar to you, it should. His dad is Sandy Alderson. And I don't care how good of an exec he is. This just reeks of uh, nepotism, and it's sort of gross. Uh, do you have any any thoughts on Ian Levin or Bryn Alderson? Um, so Bryn, I, I don't know uh, that I've ever even spoken to him or anything, um, you know, and, and read about him here and there. So no strong thoughts on, on, on him specifically. Uh, and then Ian Levin, uh, you know, he's been in the organization for a long time. Um, he is someone who, who I've, you know, occasionally spoken to down at spring training, um, in the sense that it's somebody who's, been in the organization has a lot of, a lot of experience, um, uh, you know, running in the minor league side of things really, uh, and, and in various capacities over the years. Um, it makes sense. I, you know, I I don't know enough about the day to day about you know what what he does, what he's been good at, what he maybe hasn't been, you know, that that sort of a thing. But similar to how when the Mets were faced with the managerial crisis. Uh, in the wake of the Astros scandal and Carlos Beltran, um, Luis Rojas was a guy who had been with the Mets for a long time and really worked his way up from, you know, entry-level jobs, really, uh, in his early years in the organization and, and all the way up to, uh, you know, to major league manager. So uh, in that sense of promoting from within with somebody who is certainly put in the time, uh, it, it's a reasonable thing to do. Um, he, he he seems like in a very different kind of uh, front office way, but almost like a John Rico type, right? like a guy who's been there for a long time and who seems to be well liked by the, um, you know, just by the players and and the other front office staff members. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so but yeah, I mean, how do you feel about Zach Scott as a as a GM so far? I know it's hard to tell because he hasn't been GM for very long, and he, he, his ascent came during a weird time and all of that. But how do you feel overall about Zach Scott? Uh, I guess okay. Uh, I don't usually like to do grades, but somewhere around like a B, B minus. I don't know, uh, somewhere in that range of like, uh, okay, this is. This is decent, um, but 
we haven't really had enough time to see what it looks like if he's, uh, you know, if he's in really in charge. And I, I think he is significantly influencing decisions at this point. But, uh, you know, some of the reporting recently still has sounded like it still has to get Alderson's OK, Sandy, mm-hmm. specifically. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's a little bit early, I guess. Like personally coming off, I, I was I camped for the weekend. I didn't have cell service during any of the games in Philadelphia. You know, so you, you come back from being off the grid and uh, it might have just been a, a combination of my approach toward baseball in general and the context of that where the, the comments that he made about the compliance issues with players and health and conditioning and all that sort of stuff. It was like, okay, maybe, maybe don't do that. Uh, You know, I didn't just have, I didn't have the energy to have a stronger reaction to it than that. Sure. Um, And it, you know, I know a lot of people did. And uh, I also know that Keith Hernandez opened the broadcast and, and Gary, Keith and Ron, I think are pretty fair at not just, going along with what the team says. Uh, I, I think they do criticize when they feel like it's warranted. Uh, and Keith presented it as, you know, sometimes you need that, uh, you know, that that sort of a comment from a, a higher up kind of hits you in the face or, or something along those lines. You know, it's a little bit of a wake-up call. Um, you know, so as a former player, his reaction wasn't like, oh, no, you, you can't say that sort of thing. Right. So, um. I, I I get why people reacted to it strongly. Uh, I just didn't myself. And it, it was mostly like I was thankful to have not experienced the weekend of Mets baseball. And Same, to, to come yes. to have the first Mets thing, because they were off on Monday. Uh, so the first thing that sort of uh, was my getting back online with the Mets was that press conference and those reactions to it and all that. And, and, uh, my personal attitude at the time was like, oh, I kind of miss when we didn't even know that like this was a thing that right. happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, like, sure, it's it's great that there's access and there's, there's bigger issues in the game that probably require even more of it to, uh, you know, to to make progress on and, and resolve. So on that macro level, uh, it, it's great that people pay attention to more of these details than they did before. You know, fans didn't really even think about what minor league players were living like uh, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. Um, you know, so so things like that are good uh, to have a little more under the microscope. But but yeah, this week I was just like, eh, I wish I was just like a sentence in a story in the newspaper the next day. <laughs> right. Like not something that became a hot button issue going into the first game of a of a series what well, turned out to be the first inning of a series yeah yes <laughs> uh well that's the other part of it is that i i feel like the met that that game was looking depressing from the first inning and so the combination of like that press conference and then that depressing first inning and then a rain out it just felt like it was it was the you know the universe telling you like the mets are just fucked right now and so having a little bit of time uh to 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 separate from that has been good. The Mets did win last night. They did score eight runs last night. They gave up seven, but they scored eight runs. I guess they, I guess they gave up four and they scored seven because of how the because of the you know the first inning on 
You know what I'm saying. I don't know why I keep rambling about this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's been a very, very, you know, just just weird, weird, weird couple weeks for the Mets. Hopefully they get back on track. Hopefully they get some players back from injury. And hopefully uh, all of this becomes a a rough patch in an, over, in an overall enjoyable season when things get a little, a little bit healthier in the clubhouse, whenever that happens. Uh, anything else you want to talk about Mets-wise before we move into uh, our uh, our music picks? Uh, just the one quick hit from uh, late last night. Uh, Anthony Decomo reported that the Mets had uh, picked up Josh Reddick on a minor league deal. Forgot about He's that. Report yes. to Syracuse, and uh, yeah, he he has spent the last three seasons before this one hitting like Michael Conforto has hit this season, albeit kind of a different path to getting to about the same WRC plus. Um, but right now, I don't know <laughs> the way the the way it looks. It, it certainly can't hurt to have him in AAA and either add him to the roster when rosters expand slightly in September, or have him there as uh, somebody who still, despite his 2021 hitting line, uh, is still somebody who could hit better than Albert Almora Jr. Uh, right. You know, I know that I, that's not the highest bar right now, but. <laughs> But yeah, I, as opposed to, and and no offense to anybody else, but like Mason Williams and Khalil Lee right now, uh, you know, don't seem like guys who can help you significantly as, as they try to turn things around and, and score some more runs. Um, so somebody with some experience who, who's been capable um, as a major league hitter for quite some time. I don't know. He, maybe he's not completely toast. It, it's just a it's a decent guy to have, considering he was willing to report to Syracuse and uh, go into it knowing that he you know might not get a call up uh, in the next couple of weeks. So, yes, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Um, dumb question with the way that the with without the waiver deadline, is there still a deadline? I guess no. Forget it. Forget it. Dumb question answered in my own head. Let's just move on to music picks. Uh, what is your music pick for this week, Chris? So I am going with uh, an album called Take It From The Dead by a band named Acid Dad. Um, the record came out sometime over the summer. I, I forget if it was July or June. Time is still not quite as trackable as it was before COVID started. Agreed. But but yeah, they um, 
one of the levitation sessions, probably for the OCs, but uh, it may have been for a different band. Uh, there was the so these streaming shows that they've put together uh, typically have like a little intro and then uh, either a snippet from somebody else's session or in this case just a straight up music video um and and one of the songs rc driver was um from this record and it played before one of those other sets so uh, that song sort of you know caught my attention enough to want to check them out uh in, in a bigger capacity and I, I think they've had some records that came out before this one but i just kind of decided to wait until the one you know the new one came out uh, and it's good. It, it's uh, solid, catchy, sort of, you know, a, a mix of uh, like a little bit of psych, a little bit energetic at times, um, but I don't know, not not intense. Um, good summer music, really, in my mind. Uh, I will say that like, as, by the time the album's over, the song's can blend together a little bit at least in the early going uh, and that's fine you know not every record has to have like massive shifts and uh you know in, in tone <laughs> as it goes through but overall uh i definitely like it um i wish uh, they're touring with another band that i've recommended on here before frankie and the witch fingers um i wish some of these tours in the fall were hitting more outdoor venues than they are because uh, it would be cool to see these guys, but I'm not entirely sure where I'll be, you know, given the state of everything by the time that tour comes around and, and hits, I think it's Bowery Ballroom or, you know, some other indoor venue in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we'll see. But for now, Acid Dad, take it from the dead. And uh, that's my rec. So, uh, Chris, you got to make a choice here, okay? Do I go with the thing I've listened to most this week or the thing I want to talk about? Uh, the thing you want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Because otherwise it was going to be the, some music from the Muppets. My kids are in a big Muppets phase right now. So oh, there's nice. Muppet okay. music. Uh, uh, side rant here. Uh, this year is the 40th anniversary of The Great Muppet Caper, the second Muppet movie. My personal favorite Muppet movie. And they were doing a Fathom Events live in a movie theater near me to show this film last night. I went online. Only two people had bought tickets as of an hour before the this, this, this showtime. So I figured that's safe for my family. Went and bought tickets. Showed up there in plenty of time. Got our popcorn. Sat down. Nothing started. Five minutes in, the other guy in the theater went down to ask management what was happening. He came back and said they're working on it. Ten minutes later, I went down. They said they're working on it. No one came into the theater to tell us something was wrong or anything like that. Finally, after I threatened to leave, like, well, we're getting it fixed. We're getting it fixed. And so at 7.35, the movie came on. But because it's a nationally shown thing, it was 35 minutes into the movie. So we missed the first 35 minutes of an hour and 35-minute movie because uh, apparently a manager didn't realize they had to turn on the live stream. <laughs> So, not great. Not a great uh, experience in the movie theater last night. They did give us some passes, but, uh, you know, and thank goodness Disney Plus has the movie. So, in the car ride home, the kids watched the first 35 minutes of the movie. 
Um, okay. But still. Yeah. So I was going to talk about the Muppets, and I guess I did. <laughs> I'm going to talk about an album I'm listening to a lot this week. Um, this is the most boring pick I've ever made on this show. It's an album that I'm sure 90% of our listeners are aware of or have heard at some point in their lives, but it is Abbey Road by the Beatles. Um, I play in a cover band a couple of times a year. My cover band is attempting for the second time to play almost all of side two of Abbey Road as as the medley from You Never Give Me Your Money into Sun King into Mean Mr. Mustard into Polythene Pam into She Came to the Bathroom Window into Golden Slumbers into Carry That Weight into The End. So that whole like suite we're attempting to play. And so I've been listening to Abbey Road a lot just to get my bass playing into a place where I can fake Paul McCartney. I will never be as good as Paul McCartney. If I, if I, if I played bass every minute of my life until I died, I don't think I'd still be as good as Paul McCartney. But, um, <laughs> you know... I, I'm trying to do a better facsimile of McCartney's playing, at least. Um, and when you think about the fact that the Beatles had pretty much decided that they were going to break up, this was it. They wanted to do one more album, and they managed to put together an album this good and this weird. You know, there's the l- long droning, I want you, she's so heavy. There's the aforementioned medley. There's because, maybe the most beautiful vocal performance of any Beatles song. There's come together with... Uh, Ringo's probably best drum performance. Uh, George Harrison wrote maybe his two most well-known songs on that album, Something and Here Comes the Sun. It's just a really, really good uh, last... It's it's probably the best last album that any band has ever put out. And, um, yeah, I know it's, it is not exactly cutting edge to uh, recommend a Beatles album in 2021, but... Uh, <laughs> As someone who's been listening to it a lot, I, I, it's it's really the musicianship, the songwriting. It's as good as advertised. I recently met somebody who told me the Beatles are overrated, and I wanted to throw a drink in their face. So, um, understandably, yeah, it's the Beatles. I know you don't have to listen to it every day. I'm not saying that, but there's a reason that they're the Beatles. Yeah that that record is one that when you come back to it and play it loud, especially the the that whole medley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it just hits so so freaking hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's really great. Uh, my my other band, Lightning Crabs. Um, we decided to be ambitious, and we bookended a set once by uh, opening and then closing with like a minute and a half to two minutes from "I Want You, She's So Heavy." Uh huh as we started the set and then played all our songs and then ended it by coming back to that. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know if we did it any justice, but <laughs> but it was a lot of fun for like a loud, noisy band to, uh, to incorporate some, some Beatles stuff, uh, in, you know, in a way that was mostly trying to be faithful to how it sounded. Right. Um, right. Uh, you know, two, to the best of our capabilities. Two quick, I want you, she's so heavy stories. Uh, a friend of mine and I, we're at like a charity coffee house one time and we had signed up to play and we didn't know what to play. And we so instrumentally we did. I want you. She's so heavy where we'd only just say she's so whenever that part happens in the song right before the, the sort of journey yeah, yeah. part starts. But yeah. the other thing is that my wife, whenever that's on, I always try and guess when it's going to cut off. Cause you know, that's not just cuts off in the middle of it. Right. It's just, and I never get it right. I always say, here's the end. And it, it's never the end. But this morning, I said, "Here's the end," and it was. And I was, I was jumping around my house. My kids were laughing at how stupid I looked. So I was like dancing around the house. And I got, I got the <laughs> ending of "I Want You, She's So Heavy," right. So, 
Anyway, that was a nice. Muppet rant and a Beatles recommendation. Two things you didn't need today, but you got anyway. Anyway, thank you for listening, folks. We truly appreciate it. We're glad to be back. We hope the Mets are back in their winning ways, and we'll see with the doubleheader today. Go to AmazingAvenue.com for all of your Mets needs, news, analysis, podcasts, and lots lots more. Check out Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify. If podcasts are there, we are there. Follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets.